Thank you for joining us. I'm Paul Wilson. And I'm Chris Empke. And this is Diesel Performance Podcast. Guys, we are talking about everything fuel yeah. for the next few weeks. We actually lined up um, and pulled in some really awesome interviews. You, we got some you legit held your experts. own for once, man. I'm yeah. pumped. Yeah. I'm pumped. Uh, everybody who helped out, everybody who jumped in, we definitely appreciate yeah. it. Uh, but we do have some really cool stuff. So today we're going to be talking with Matt Roberts of uh, Springboard Biodiesel. Bio uh, super excited for that. And of course, I think we'll also be checking in with Jeremy uh, Garnett down in the shop talking about, a, I think we're changing a fuel filter today. So How ironic is that? Really knocking yeah. out this, this fuel system stuff. Yeah. Uh, of course, before we get started, we want to give a huge shout out to our sponsors. You can support us by supporting them. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, Duramax Tuner Calibrated Power. Chris, got a huge sale going on yeah. right now. Yeah, 15% on tuning, 10% on turbos. We have a couple door busters. Yeah. Uh, 50% off on the 2020 Plus Fords uh, tuning, and then uh, $250 off on conversion kits. If you guys have any questions or have interest in anything, go over to the website, DuramaxTuner.com, or you can call the shop, 815-568-7920. That's right. Uh, of course, WC Fab, uh, Worley Custom Fabrications, been a longtime sponsor of the show. Uh, since the very beginning, we appreciate them, love working with them. And you can get all of the highest quality powder coating and custom parts for your uh, truck. Check out their website anytime, wcfab.com. And then Extra G Performance, they've been supplying us on all of our fuel system needs for years. Um, and they're just a great wealth of knowledge. You can visit them at extragperformance.com. Or if you have any questions regarding the fuel systems, you could always give us over at Calibrated Power a call and we could help you out. That's right. And we don't want to forget XDP. Uh, thank you for coming on and being a sponsor here in the recent past. Uh, they've been a great sponsor to work with. Yeah. They've supplied us with some really cool content. One-stop shop, man. We've worked with them forever. Yeah, uh, we shop. do love XDP. We use a lot of even XDP branded parts here at the shop on our belts yeah. and things like that. Uh, so big shout out to them. Uh, if you haven't heard of them, stop what you're doing now and search XDP.com. You'll be able to find everything right, you need right, for your right diesel to the truck. Link. Right, right to them. Stick around, guys. We got an awesome interview coming at you with Matt Roberts from Springboard Biodiesel. All right, folks, here we are with your favorite time of the episode, and that's where we bring on an expert to the show to talk about, uh, well, their expertise. And today we're we're definitely not short of supply on, yeah. on expertise. So, Chris, uh, I know I'm excited to bring on Matt Roberts from Springboard Biodiesel. Matt, how the hell are you? Well, thank you. It's good to be here. I'm glad you guys are, are doing this and are interested in biodiesel. You know, biodiesel, there's been a uh, upswing in interest, I think, especially <laughs> over uh, recent things going on in the world. Um, you know, so we appreciate you taking some time and, uh, you know, giving us a little bit of a, a general, you know, uh, knowledge, you yeah. know, on, on <laughs> what to expect and questions they ask and whatnot. So thank you. It's funny, Chris and I, when we first started talking about this, Chris, you came up with an idea of asking just, I think, some some a little bit more broad questions yep. about, like, biodiesel. And as we sat down and we started to put it together, we realized, hey, um, we don't know anything. No. Like, like <laughs> we don't know anything. No. So we wanted to start at the beginning of the supply chain, right? Like, if if I'm a, I'm a DIY guy, which I think a lot of us are, uh, and I want to do something at home, uh, sure, I've seen all sorts of YouTube videos yep. about how to make biodiesel. There's instructables of, like, five steps. It looks so easy um and then i read some of those and watched some of those you're videos. like what did i read what um, did I watch? and it, it was i realized there's probably some holes in the diy system that like just going out to your shed and doing it's a bit of a far-fetched idea uh so matt where where does springboard biodiesel come into play in this system so um excellent question so basically we got started 
because um, we saw all of those DIY uh, machines out there and um, we wanted to make something that was automated, that was easier to operate and that would reliably make a high quality fuel. And we found that a lot of people who had those, um, you know, there, there was a company out there called Fuelmeister a long time ago that made something similar to this. People who had those machines, they ended up spending a lot of time making biodiesel and they didn't have any time for their jobs uh, or doing anything else, their families, anything else. So what we did is we, uh, we put together this machine that you basically load uh, up with your inputs. Um, you need to have a feedstock oil, which uh, most of our customers convert used cooking oil. And um, that's the most common one out there. Uh, and it's the easiest to come by generally. Uh, it's getting harder and harder. But, um, but then you have to put your other inputs in, which are methanol, sodium hydroxide. And in our system, we use a little bit of sulfuric acid. And so our process, it's a dual reaction. Um, it's automated, it's easy to operate. And I would say you probably only need to put about 20 minutes of time, maybe 30 minutes of time into making a batch in it. And uh, in a way, it's a lot like um, a, a kitchen appliance. You know, you load it up, you turn it on and you walk away. Um, so that's how we got started. That was the impetus. You know, um, let's make something easier and better that's rugged and is going to uh, last longer. Um, it's also safety is a big issue because one of your inputs is methanol and it's flammable and it's also poisonous. Um, and so, you know, you want to make sure that your equipment handles that safely. Um, so we put a lot of time into the design of um, a machine that has uses all explosion proof motors, explosion proof pumps. The heating system is super safe. It supplies indirect heat. Um, through the metal, it's the, all the tanks are made out of 14 gauge, 304 stainless. Um, so yeah, that's, we've been doing that for 14 years, uh, making these machines. And so far, I mean, it's been a long time, um, but so far we have units in 50 states and in 39 countries, we just sent some off to Namibia oh, wow. and I didn't. I didn't know where Namibia was until I took the order. I heard it until just now. I was going to say, I don't feel so bad now. Right. <laughs> but, um, but it is, it is just North of South Africa and to the West, but um, um, yeah. So, you know, it can be done by anybody. You can do it very easily, um, but you know, uh, it can take up a lot of your time if you're, if you're going sort of the, the low budget route. Okay. Now, with this machine, uh, your your customers, is this more of like an, an industrial thing where like, I need a shop to have this? Can someone just stuff this in their two-car garage and start making fuel? Like, what, is that, what does that look like? <laughs> Chris is moving out stuff this weekend. Yeah, the footprint is pretty small. So um, our smallest unit is, it's called the BioPro 190. It'll make 50 gallons in two days, and it will fit in a broom closet. I mean... It is 22 inches by 22 inches at the bottom. And I wish I had an image of it. Um, I do somewhere here, I'll show you a picture. 
Uh, let's see. See that machine there right next to yeah. the chef? Yeah. He's, yeah, it's, it's that tall. That's the smallest unit we make and they get bigger from there. And so, um, but if you had say a 10 by 10 or a 12 by 12 um, a shed or a garage, uh, it'll fit in there nicely. And um, we have plenty of people who operate them in their garages. That's so cool. That's, neat. That's such an yeah. awesome option to now think of. Everybody who's listening right now is like doing mapping in their head of like, yeah. well, if I didn't have any of the kids' bikes. If the wife's car right. wasn't in the garage. <laughs> right. uh, now, I want to pull back here a little bit because I have a few questions about biodiesel uh, just in general. And, and I, I think that maybe somebody who has 14 years experience with making the equipment around, you know, doing your own biodiesel I'm hoping you can help us out with some of this. Um, first of all, let's talk about cost. So my understanding, just from a quick Google search and knowing anything about DIY fuel, is that the idea is it's much, much cheaper than it's ever going to be at the pump. Can you give us like a ballpark on what that looks like? So this is, this is a great question, and this is what gets most people excited about biodiesel. If, now this is a big if, if you can collect your used cooking oil for free, because let's say you're a restaurant or a school, you're feeding all those people, you already have it worked into your business model. If you can collect that oil for free and put it in our machine, you'll make biodiesel for about a dollar to a dollar 15 per gallon. That's in the oil for free. <laughs> right. So all the other add-ons, okay. Right. Those are all the other inputs, including electricity, to make the biodiesel. So, you know, obviously not everybody can do that. Um, and we get a lot of calls from people who are super excited about biodiesel and they ask about the equipment and everything. And then I ask them, so do you have any feedstock oil? And they're like, no, I, I hadn't thought of that. Where, where can I get that? And so you have to have that. And there's a broad range of feedstock oils out there. Some of it is expensive. Like if you were converting raw soybean oil, you know, you'd have to buy it from some soybean oil broker. It would probably end up making your costs higher than the price of diesel, um, be, you know, if you're going that route. Uh, but there are so many other waste oils out there that you can convert, including animal fat. So that might sound a little weird, but beef tallow, if you can liquefy it and filter it, you can put it in our machine and make ASTM grade fuel. Um, and so you just have to calculate what is the cost to me to collect that beef tallow, add that to a dollar 10, let's say per gallon, and that is your total cost. Now, I would have to imagine there's probably guys out there that, okay, the cost is the cost, but they're doing it from an angle of, they just want to know what they're putting in their vehicles. They want to know what they're putting in their tanks and they have the ability to control that versus they don't know when the last time that fuel station serviced their, their pumps or something like that, I would assume. Yeah, and I think that walks me into grade. So when, when you mentioned a grade of fuel, how, how do I know the fuel's good? How do I know I did it right? Right, so the US government approves for sale ASTM D6751 grade biodiesel. And if you hit that spec, the federal government says you can run that in any diesel engine. And so what you want to do is you want to hit that spec, right? And, um, you know, every fuel has a grade that it has to meet, including diesel, 
Um, but ASTM D6751, that's the one that biodiesel has to meet. And uh, it makes sense, you know, obviously, like you said, you don't want to put crappy fuel in your incredibly expensive equipment and ruin it. Um, so if you meet that grade, you're good. And um, our equipment meets that reliably if you follow all the instructions and, you know, you use the right inputs at the right purity, um, you, will, you will meet that. And um, so, yeah, uh, uh, good question. <laughs> Is there a way, if I, if I, I like to second guess myself, right? I've done it my whole 32 years of life. If I were to follow all the inputs, okay? Is there a way to test the fuel to make sure it hits that minimum standard before putting it in a vehicle? Right. So there are a lot of tests you can do at home to make sure that you have good fuel. Now, if you want to pass, if you want to know definitively that you've passed all of the tests for the ASTM, um, you know, raft of, of testing, you would want to send a sample to a tribology lab, you know, a lab that can test the fuel and tell you all of this data, you know, right. how much, um, you know, what your free glycerin is remaining in the fuel. Is there any water present? Um, and they do tests. One of them is called the Ransomat test that measures uh, oxidation. And that's not something that's easy to do at home. But there are a couple tests you can do um, that are really simple, one of which is called the 27-3 test. So once you've reacted the biodiesel, if you take three milliliters of your raw reacted biodiesel and mix it with 27 milliliters of methanol, pure methanol, 99.9% .9 methanol. You put it in a little beaker, you gently mix it and put it on a windowsill. Uh, after five minutes, um, if there is unreacted oil in there, it should drop out to the bottom and you'll see a little line of it at the bottom. And that's just a good way of knowing if you've had a complete reaction or not. Um, there's another test called the pH lip test which basically works on color. Um, and there are several others you can do. There's, there's tutorials out there and videos showing you how to do them, test for soap, test for water content. Um, and a lot of that's available on YouTube. We have some of those videos on our website. Um, yeah. That's really cool. I like to know that I can do a little QC at home. Yeah, and, then, and then simpler, like we're, we're used to like oil analysis, yeah. right? It's like, that's just a part of what you have to deal with is sometimes you have to send it out to somebody that has the right equipment to diagnose it properly. And if you're doing, I mean, your smallest batch is 50 gallons, right? So like yeah. if you're doing larger scale batches, how often are you really running them? How much are you going through all those things? I would, I would imagine would play into it. But can we also talk about how it impacts vehicles? I've, I've done very little research, um, admittedly around like converting my vehicle to run biodiesel, uh, could I just grab any diesel truck and start running biodiesel in it tomorrow if I start making it in my garage? Well, the short answer is yes. You can run biodiesel in any diesel engine. Um, and in fact, biodiesel and diesel mix beautifully. So <clears throat> there's a good, there's a good um, visual uh, uh, show you can make where if you get a, a glass of diesel and a glass of biodiesel and you have some good backlight and you pour one into the other, they mix perfectly. And that's what happens in your engine. 
Um, but uh, but there are in the newer engines, the ones that have DPF tech on them. If you use a very high blend of biodiesel, you can slowly start to dilute your engine oil. And um, this can happen because uh, this will happen in those because you know there's a, a, there's an injection into the engine chamber after the initial explosion, and it's sent in there to um, remove particulates, to burn off any particulates that might be in there. And it it's designed as an emissions control to reduce particulate emissions. Um, but the thing about biodiesel is it has a higher flash point than diesel. So when it gets injected in there, it doesn't all burn off and it can slowly start to seep past the pistons and end up in your engine oil. Um, so how do you manage that? If you have one of those trucks or one of those engines, it's best to just use a lower blend of biodiesel. Um, so if you were to use B20, that's 20% biodiesel, 80% diesel, you'd be completely safe. Um, all that said, we have a lot of customers who run B100 in those engines anyway, because they're big enthusiasts, they're saving a lot of money on their fuel, and what they do is every like 1500 miles, uh, they will drain off some of the engine oil from, from the engine, maybe add a little bit more on top, uh, just to make sure they're not diluting that. And so that's an extra step you'd have to take if you were go really gung-ho about using high blends, but yeah. you don't have to, you could just use more diesel, I suppose, in the mixture. One of the things, like, again, Paul and I are novices when it comes to this. I was kind of always under the impression that biodiesel is going to be uh, better suited for like a mechanical injection engine where there's a little bit more give and take versus being involved in like a, a common rail high pressure injection motor. Um, is that more or less like I understand the emission standard, but, you know, cut the emissions out. We could talk like a early 2000 era common rail engine. Is, is that going to hold true that like the mechanical lower injection pressure engines are going to be a little bit more welcoming to a biodiesel? I think you're right. I think that they are better suited for those engines. Um, and, you know, a lot of a lot of people end up buying uh, 2002 to 2004 Volkswagen Jettas, um, for example, because yeah, just because of the layout of that engine, it's it it, it seems to be especially um, welcoming to biodiesel. Um, but uh, like I I drive a '98 Dodge Ram 2500. It's a '98 and a half. It's got a 24 valve. I use B100 in it all the time, um, and it runs great. Uh, it's it's so solid. One of the things about biodiesel, and I don't want to rave about biodiesel too much, but you know, it has better lubricity than regular ultra low sulfur diesel. And lubricity, I mean, by that, I just mean it burns with less wear in your engine. And so a lot of these older vehicles will quiet down a little bit if you add even just some biodiesel to the blend. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, oh, I was going to say ultra low sulfur diesel, it burns a lot with a lot more wear now that those extra sulfates have been taken out. Um, the sulfates were there for lubricity. 
And because of emission standards, those have been removed. Just adding a little bit of biodiesel to your diesel blend can help to smooth that out and add that lubricity back in. I mean, I definitely can say biodiesel is definitely a hot topic. I'm a TDI owner myself, and when you get into a topic of an ALH or a BRM TDI engine, biodiesel is discussed. When you yeah. think of biodiesel in the truck world, a 12-valve Cummins or a 24-valve VP44 motor, similar to what you're talking about, they're very welcoming, you know, as far as that goes. Then you get into the common rail stuff, like you get on the, the 2.8 Colorado page, and there's a lot of questions regarding it, but not a lot of expertise because yeah. they're not as, you know, they're, it's not as normal well, to have it well, on those than well, the that, older vehicles. And that that's my question too, is that even if I'm not even if I'm not really that concerned with the dilution of oil, am I going to run into things like quicker regens, right? Like, is it going to gum up my my high fr high pressure fuel system and yeah. my, my injectors, my pump? Like, am I going to have problems on that end of it? Am I going to have problems with the DPF and the EGR now because I'm running this type of fuel? Like, that is where my questions with, with reliability would kind of play into the system. Uh, it's interesting to hear that I also have to worry about oil dilution. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, yeah, it, it's, it's manageable is a good thing, but you know, the biodiesel, it's, it's not perfect. I mean, it, it also will gel at a higher temperature, um, you know, 32 to 35 degrees, you can, it'll first start to cloud and then it'll gel. I've had to go out to, uh, I, I used to have a Mercedes station wagon. I used to have to go out sometimes in winter with a blowtorch and heat up, heat up the fuel filter and the, and the tank just to get it flowing when it was super cold. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's solutions, other solutions for that as well. Besides mixing more diesel in, you could put a heat exchanger on your engine uh, to use, just, you know, use that heat from the radiator fluid. Once you get up to temp, you're fine. Right. right. But it's starting is tough. Um, you could always garage your vehicle. Um, you know, a lot of common sense solutions, but uh, not if I gave up my garage to make the deep biodiesel. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, only so much space. Listen, I love it. I, th I think it's one of these one of these technologies that's out there that it's a great option for yeah. a lot of diesel owners. It's is it everybody? No, it's man. It's discussed around a lot of diesel yeah. owners, right? And, and I think there are still some guys out there who like, man, if I'm trading my truck in every three years anyways, like... Yeah, who cares? I'm not going to have to be the one to deal with the You aftermath. know, like if I'm the type of guy who modified my truck in the first thousand miles of owning it because I wasn't that worried about warranty and I'd rather have it run the way I want and like those type of options, like there's a lot of guys out there who are in different situations than maybe you and I who have a truck and they're like, yeah, this, this does sound great. Now, if I'm traveling across the country, do I have to worry about mixing back and forth? Like, hey, I usually use biodiesel, you know, in my Jetta or whatever, and I drive every day with it. And now all of a sudden I'm going on a trip, you know, all the way across the country. I'm not going to be able to carry all my own fuel with me, obviously. Uh, yeah. Any problems with mixing back into just regular straight low sulfur? You can you can go back and forth and, um, uh, and no problem. So there's no range anxiety. One thing you do have to keep in mind, though, is if you've if you get a, a, an engine, a, a truck, let's say that's run for many, many miles on diesel, and then you switch over immediately to a high blend of biodiesel, let's just say B100, 100%, you will, you know, biodiesel has a mild solvent uh, quality to it, and it will actually scour out the tank and the fuel lines, and it 
will take out all those coked up deposits left from the diesel and that will end up in your fuel filter. And so after, after driving for about a thousand miles, maybe 2000 miles after you've done the conversion, you'll start to feel that power loss and you'll curse and you'll say, why did I get into biodiesel? <laughs> but actually it's just your fuel filter and you just change that out. Um, and it's amazing how much gunk will come out of your tank. Uh, we've cut them in half with a hacksaw before just to have a look. It's inside and it's, it's gooey and gross. But it, anyway, <laughs> if you change that out with a nice fresh filter, it, your engine will, will run super clean and uh, it will continue to run clean. That's awesome. Okay. Now, a question that I have too is, if, if I wanted to take my, my O3 Jetta tomorrow and convert it over to bio and I, I, I get a machine and I start doing it, are there anything that I, that I need to do to the vehicle? Like, do I need to modify the vehicle yes. to accept that? Right. So um, rubber is bad. Rubber in any of the fuel lines is bad. It will start to dissolve um, under when, you, when biodiesel is pushed through it. So Buna rubber is bad. There's this material called Viton. And now it's in um, most engines anyway. It's some kind of flora elastomer made by Goodyear and they, they decide to call it Viton. And anyway, that's completely compatible with biodiesel. And um, that is what you wanna make sure you don't have on your engine. Make sure there's no, you know, the seals on any of those pumps, you know, if they were rubber seals, you'd wanna replace that with Viton. Um, but I don't think Vit I don't think that rubber is common now in in engines. Um, I don't know. Do you guys know? Is it is it commonly used in seals? There's not a lot of rubber in a factory no. fuel system in the newer trucks. It's all going to be you know metal junctions and what have you. Yeah, that was like pre ninety one or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and there are a lot of forums and a lot of groups that I saw that do specifically ask this question where if you go in and you just search what vehicle you have, there's going to be guys who discuss, hey, not only, yes, you're going to need to modify things, but I saw a lot of guys who have kits. So oh, like, wow. yeah, so, so there are guys like DIY who like, kits for the conversion yeah. for the vehicles. And, and of course, that's going to depend, you know, if you have something obscure, you're going to get less support. That's but, interesting. Yeah. One, one thing that comes up a lot is, um, is people often say to, to us, you know, Oh, I'd love to get into biodiesel, but I don't want to have to convert my engine. And so we always tell them, you know, no problem. If you have a diesel engine, there's no conversion required. Um, you know, you can run it on biodiesel. You don't, and a lot of people are thinking of those conversion kits that um, go in your trunk uh, that um, heat up engine, uh, heat up vegetable oil. You know, we were just talking about yeah. that. You can run your engine on vegetable oil if you if you have a system that's installed and it's done right. Um, uh, you know we don't we don't knock that that works. Um, I don't think it's technically legal, uh, but who cares? <laughs> it's it's just a technicality, <laughs> right? It's just a technicality. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, but you can you can, if you don't do it right, you can destroy your engine. You can uh, start to have um, I love this word polymerization happening in your in your engine and, and you can get goo uh, you know in your in your on your pistons and whatnot and you can destroy your engine. Yeah, if you know anything about goo and pistons, they don't go together. They go real well, well in the valves, ever. everything. Yeah. <laughs> 
Okay, what about performance though? So so let's say I'm Chris and I'm running my TDI and I'm used to getting all 85 horsepower when I'm cruising down the road. Um, I go to B100, would, would I expect to run at the exact same power? It's got a higher flash point you had mentioned. So does that mean I get less energy out of each stroke? Well, the, yeah, so 8% loss with of BTUs if you're at B100, right around 8%. And it can vary. You can add additives to decrease that number. If you have B20, I think it's right around a 2% loss. Okay. Yeah. So that's your scale. All right. So, hey, listen, if you're hitting the dyno circuit and you're talking about biodiesel, we're probably... I've never met you. Um, like you know, like if you want if you want performance, there's a lot of ways to get it. Um, you know, B100 is probably not your bag, right? Out of out of the questions that we've asked, is there anything like as a buyer that like maybe we didn't ask or that we yeah. should have asked to be more educational in this interview? Ooh. Um, well, no. You guys have asked all all of the right questions, and uh, you know. Cost, safety, benefits, how is it made? That Those are all good things to know. Um, you know, I, I would just say that <clears throat> the diversity of feedstock oils is pretty exciting right now. And, you know, you can't do it without a feedstock oil, obviously, if you want to make it yourself. Um, but there are, there are seed oils like for example, I, I went to Botswana in 2020, and uh, I visited the University of Botswana in Haberone, and they were some of the first people, I think, to ever convert trichilia seed oil into biodiesel. And so I'd never heard of trichilia before. It grows wild everywhere in Botswana. The seeds fall from these trees, and they collected it, put it in a, a press, and they pressed out this oil, they put it in one of our machines and made biodiesel out of it. Beautiful biodiesel. And um, I, it's just so great that, you know, in Botswana, you can do that. Um, you know, in other countries, I'm sure they have some indigenous inedible oil that, or edible oil, preferably inedible, that, that can be converted. And, um, you know, for a while there, algal oil was sort of the holy grail of biodiesel production. Everyone talked about it. It seemed very promising. And, um, and it's sort of gone away because I think the cost of making it has proved they, they couldn't really lower it down enough. Maybe they'll get there now, now that diesel is so expensive. But um, animal fats, um, I've heard recently about black soldier fly larval oil. If you can believe it, somebody is harvesting black soldier flies and pressing them and getting the oil out and making biodies. So um, there's a lot of options out there, and they're all they're all pretty exciting. How many flies? Man, you need a lot of those. I want to. I I don't necessarily wonder how many flies. I wonder like, so somebody had black soldier larva. And they were like, it looks you know a what? lot like oil. I'm squeezing it this. It looks a lot like oil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, wow. Those are the questions that I want. I would like to ask one. They discover this, but it's happening. That's awesome, That's though. That, you know, you know. Again, I mean, it it is super cool to see such a diversity in feedstock, and that is, like you said, the 
the beginning point of yeah. like, really, you have to know how am I going to start this off? So, you know, restaurant yeah. owners and things like that. I love that idea of like, Hey, I, I have a small fry shop or a small hot dog stand and yeah. this is in abundance for my lifestyle. Right. right. Or, or I tow around, um, you know, one of my trailers for the fair circuit. Right. I, mean, like, I was just thinking like, get it in with like a high school or a middle school and take the oil from them. And then you're set. Like, so the beginning of your plan starts with robbing a school. Yes. I well, you're helping them it. move their, move their waste. <laughs> <laughs> they have to feed all those kids. The right. fire's got to get clean. Yeah. It's got to. Got to. You're okay. doing them a service. <laughs> well, you know, those schools, they could they could do it themselves. You know, a lot of them are, are self-mandating that they should reduce their carbon footprint. That's one thing, actually, we haven't discussed is just the, it, according to the California Air Resources Board, biodiesel emits 90% less CO2 and about 50% less particulate matter than regular diesel fuel in its whole life cycle of production. So it is also clean burning. That's a lot. That's a lot, a lot. That would have been good to know when we were asking about the emission standard <laughs> stuff like that. That is impressive. I mean, schools, they're feeding all those students and they're, they're you know, they want to reduce their footprint. And they're also teaching students about alternative energy. What better group than to get into small-scale biodiesel? Than the practice. They have to bus them in and out, which is and they all have buses, right? Right, which are all diesel. Exactly. Oh, that's crazy. That's that might be the next business move for you. (laughs) Start hitting down schools. And we've been hammering at schools for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Matt, this was so much fun. I've I've learned so much about yeah. biodiesel in this in this interview, folks. Uh, if there's more questions that you have, you're going to want to jump on over to Fans of Diesel Performance Podcast Facebook group and get a hold of us, Matt. Now, if they have questions for you or for Springboard Diesel about the manufacturing process and the parts and services you offer, how could they follow up with you? Um, please definitely uh, send us an email. You can send it to uh, Matt at springboardbiodiesel.com or info at springboardbiodiesel.com. Um, our website's got a wealth of information. You can check that out. And, um, you know, you can always call us too. I would just, uh, I would just say out there, if, if you don't have the oil, um, please don't call. <laughs> but get the oil first. You know, Start there, yeah. Otherwise, you know, you could own the biggest paperweight you ever bought, you know, because um, you need to run something through it. And, uh, and, and so, but yeah, but you know, we're open. We'd love to talk to anybody who calls. Now we appreciate the time, Matt. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today, guys. Uh, This has been Paul Wilson and Chris Emke. Make sure to like, and subscribe, and we'll talk to you again soon. I lied. Not ready. What the fuck? Dude, he's just fucking up the tape. Dude. Mm -hmm. Paul, I'm here on my time. I'm going to fuck shit up. We have paid sponsors.